0: We actually start verse one. (laughs) Because I think this book, more than any, we gotta kind of understand what's was going on when John wrote this. And what's the basis for this book? What's it trying to tell us? And then next week we're gonna look at the different methods of it of of interpreting or reading this book and how we should get the information from it. There's some different thoughts in that. And I think between today and next week, that'll give us a good foundation that as we start verse 1 and into the, the book, that we'll, we'll be able to grasp a little bit more. So we're going to look at some verses here in a little bit in Revelation. But first off, I want to go over just some some of the basic um, Items, who wrote Revelation? Well, I mean, it's pretty clear it's John the Apostle, right? Uh, it's very clear in the book that uh, you look at verse four in chapter one. It says, "John to the seven churches which were which are in Asia." Okay, John wrote it. Now there is a debate: was it John the Apostle or some other John? But I think when you look at the early church fathers, that and those that are in the FBI class this this uh, summer, I think you'll you'll get this this thought because uh, Habermas talks about this a lot when he talks about proofs of the resurrection. Is what were the early uh, proofs that an event or a person existed? Were other people writing about him during that time? What was uh, Josephus, or Irenaeus, or Cyril, or some of these early church fathers—who do they think wrote Revelation? And they were within a 200 years of this event. So it does—you know—for somebody today to kind of look and, and make a judgment call two thousand years prior without looking at the historical context—that's where we get into trouble, I think. I think it's clear from the the. Uh, Book itself, as well as um, the writings of many early church fathers, that we're clear that John the Apostle wrote Revelation. So that's not a, a huge debate. When was Revelation written? You know, there was more on that topic than I thought there was. I'll be honest with you. I I think I spent two or three days just studying that part. It really was a little more in depth than I than I felt like. The majority of conservative scholars date the writing of Revelation around A.D. ninety to ninety-five. Ninety to ninety-five. Uh, this would have been near the end of the reign of emperor the emperor of Rome, uh, Domitian. Near the end of his reign. Now there are some that date the writing of Revelation in the 60s, around uh, Nero's reign. They say that it would have been Nero that put him on Patmos versus Domitian that put him on Patmos. There's some problems with that timeline, including when you look at many of the writings of, again, these early church fathers that are pretty much, for the most part, unanimous that it was Domitian that did it. And his persecution of the Christians. But when you talk about persecution of the Christians, all of these Roman emperors were persecuting Christians at the time. So that really doesn't narrow down exactly when Revelation would have been written. But we believe it's around A.D. 90. If it was around A.D. 90, some of the, the thoughts to consider is uh, John would have been the last living apostle by this time. Last one. Last man walking, uh, who was still with us, who was part of Jesus' ministry, actually walked with him during those three years. Um, You know, you look in verse 2 of Revelation 1, and the Bible says, Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. He the writer John, he was with Christ. He saw Christ. He saw the miracles. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the resurrection. He, I mean, he saw all those things. And for him to kind of put it in writing for us, and then he saw visions that Christ gave him throughout Revelation of, of his work through the end times. So. John's focus is, I'm writing this book and I'm going to tell you everything I've seen. I'm tell you everything I've heard. Because this comes from Christ. Christ gave it to me and I'm giving it to you. That's the whole revelation that we're going to see. I mentioned the early church fathers uh, that attribute it to uh, the 90s. Irenaeus, uh, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Victorinus, Eusebius, all say it was domin- domination in the 90s. Uh, he would have already spent, by the 90s, he would have already spent his time with those seven churches in Asia Minor. He would have already, you know, we we studied in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John that he was writing letters to those churches. Um, or to one of them specifically, um, correcting different issues because he had spent time there pastoring, ministering, and he was kind of, you know, sending letters back to them saying, hey, you guys got to work on these issues. He would have already done that by this time. He'd have served in those churches. Now, if you look in the order that John would have wrote these books, that's where it gets, to me, I think, interesting. Uh 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was his first books that he wrote. And if you consider, you know, we've already studied 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the Gospel of John in this class. And we're getting ready to study Revelation, of course. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are pretty short. You know, they're not complex thoughts. I mean, it wasn't like we're getting ready to study in Revelation. The 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was, was fairly... Uh, easy uh, writing and then you get to Revelation in the Gospel of John and he gets pretty deep theologically in some topics uh, by now he's he's older he's more experienced he's seen more done more been a part of more I love it um, and I, I, this isn't a critique not a critique but I love our young men when they come from college and they preach and they're trying to give examples of things <laughs> that they have no life experiences of. I mean, bless them; they do a wonderful job. Back in college, yeah, you know, and it's just humor. It's kind of humorous to me a little bit uh, because it's it's just they're doing their best and they do a great job. But it's so much easier to do after you got a few years behind you, right? Because you can think back and think of this interaction I had with this group or this person and this event, and it's just easier to to relate and expound on a thought. And I think John, as he was the elder John at this point, I mean, he's really got some, some good basis to be able to give a deep, theological account of Christ's ministries in the Christian faith, specifically in the Gospel of John. A little bit of debate as to whether the Gospel of John was written just before Revelation or just after Revelation, after he got off of Patmos. I've seen books that explain it the both, both ways. Um, my study Bible says it was uh, before. Um, I've read different things that suggest after, but either way, you got Revelation and the Gospel of John written pretty close to around the same time. So, we know from Revelation that John wrote the book while on Patmos, right? So, what's Patmos? You know, so um, I looked a little bit over this weekend, and you know, my the thought I had was it was kind of an island for prisoners of Rome. Well, okay, that's fair. That's a fair statement. Uh, Rome would often use these small islands in the Mediterranean to be able to send political prisoners or or dissidents to this island. Well, at, during that time, <laughs> you put somebody on a small island, it can be pretty difficult to get off without some help, right? So they would, you know. Uh, sentence you to, uh, to be sent. They, they used uh, four distinct islands um, in the Mediterranean to do this. I didn't um, try to write them down, but Patmos is one of those. Um, but who is Domitian? That was another thought that I thought was important to be able to try to put in our heads what was the Christian experience during this time. 90 to 95 AD, what was the Christian experience? What would the Christian experience have been in one of those seven churches of Asia Minor? Or if you were a citizen of Rome, of course during that time we all know about the Roman Empire and the extent and the reach that they had, right? If you were a citizen of Rome and wanted to be a believer and a follower of Christ, What was that experience like? You know, we often hear of Rome being, you know, democratic and uh, all this kind of stuff. Well, it has a pretty dark history, that's for sure. Uh, So I wrote down a few notes here. Uh, Domitian's reign as emperor is somewhat notorious. He actually, if you look at the... The list of emperors, we've all heard of Nero. He was uh, the one, I think, that tore down the temple, right? When he died, uh, Domitian's father, I didn't write down his name, but he would have been Domitian's father, takes over as emperor. Um, Was emperor for a little while, but died. These emperors are known for dying after very short terms. You wonder, wonder why? People wanted power, and they very quickly would come up against some sort of resistance from somebody else who wanted the power, and they would get killed, and somebody would take over. I mean, it was uh, very common. So, after Nero, you have Domitian's father. He dies, and then very quickly, Domitian's brother takes over. They really didn't pick. The Senate didn't actually pick pick the emperor. You just had Domitian's brother said, well, my turn, I'll do it. Kind of left Domitian out in the the exterior a little bit. Domitian's brother only lasted about three years and then died unexpectedly of what many writers call natural causes, and they put it in quotation marks, because the consensus is that uh, Domitian had his brother poisoned. So when he had his brother poisoned, he takes over as emperor. So Domitian's brother had a, had a very short reign, and the speculation comes from the last comments that he had before his death was, uh, I have made but one mistake, and a lot of people feel like that was probably something involving his brother. And that uh, he was poisoned. So Domitian takes over, who was was a, a inclined to cruelty, uh, slew his brother, uh Phil, and then raised a second persecution against the Christians. And this is kind of what I found interesting. In this rage, he put to death some of the Roman senators. So, you know... Like I said, so much for democracy. If you didn't believe what the emperor wanted you to pass, you got a law, hey, we want to pass this law. Well, I don't know that that's good for Rome. Okay, all right. Well, you're, if you're keeping me from passing this, the easiest thing for me to do is get you out of the picture, right? So they very often would kill them off. Uh, others, to confiscate their estates You know, through covetousness, he'd see somebody that had a good property and just kill them. He commanded all of the lineage of David to be put to death. Well, that's a pretty big undertaking, I think, by this time, right? Um, all the lineage of David, put him to death. And among the numerous martyrs that suffered during that persecution, Simeon, uh, who was crucified, John, boiled in oil and then afterward banished to Patmos. So, Keep, you know, those are uh, recent events. So, as Domitian dealt with John, he'd have been uh, boiled in oil for not renouncing Christianity. And then, living through that, shipped off to Patmos for a period of time. Um,. There was a law made that no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion. So, if you were brought before a court, if you didn't renounce your religion, they can punish you to the extent they wanted. They'd crucify you, boil you, whatever. I mean, just very wicked times, that's for sure. A variety of tales during this reign composed in order to injure the Christians. Such was the infatuation of the pagans at this time that if famine, pestilence, or earthquakes afflicted any of the Roman provinces, it was laid upon the Christians. So, you know, the Roman government and and the majority of the Roman senators were all, uh, they worshipped multiple gods. They were polytheists. They, Every event, every natural thing, everything had a god attached to it. So if the earth god, there was an earthquake and Rome suffered devastation from it, it must be because the Christians weren't worshipping our earth god, so let's persecute the Christians. Everything was tied back to the Christians' fault. Christians fault. Christian's fault. Those persecutions among the Christians increased the number of informers, and many, for the sake of gain, swore away the lives of the innocent. Another hardship was that when any Christian was brought before magistrates, a test oath was performed when, if they refused to take it, death was pronounced against them. And if they confessed themselves Christian, the sentence was the same. So you had one way of getting out of that test oath, right? Denouncing your faith, denouncing Christ, and agreeing to worship these, 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 these multiple gods through the Roman uh, system. So you have this just persecution during this time that, you know, uh, I think, you know, we, and when I first started studying this, I really kind of went back to a thought that, wait a second, one of the Roman emperors converted to Christian at one point and even made Christianity the official religion. I remember hearing that. So I'm like, which one was that? Well, it was actually Constantine was the Roman Emperor, and if you really want a good read on that, I wouldn't say it was really a profession of faith more or less than then he lost a bunch of battles by praying to these polytheistic gods, so he thought, yeah, let me try that Christian God once, and he prayed to the Christian God and he won a battle and then uh, professed to be Christian from that point, but while he was professing to be Christian, performed a lot of the same um, evil deeds that all the other emperors did. So, I mean, it sounds good that he professed Christianity and uh, um, went that route. I guess we'll all find out in heaven whether it was real or not, but Constantine was the one that did it, and that was between 280 and 335. Remember this is between, we're at ninety AD. we're a long way from that. So this, we're still at high level of persecution, high level of persecution for Christians. Um, and we're not talking just, you get shunned in society, or ghosted. I guess that's a new thing, you know. Um, you get kind of when when they see you, you know, and that would be kind of like what I think we experience, right? I I have yet. I mean, we're not at that level in society that yeah, uh, n- we were tracked coming to church today. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's threatening our lives. Um, I hope not, <laughs> yet that, you know that I know of. <laughs> It might be. It might be true. Might might be about other stuff besides this. But um, they, you know, we're not at that level of persecution, so it's hard, I think, for us to grasp and understand what that life was like. And yet, the Christian religion was just growing during this time, which is phenomenal. I mean, look at God's influence. He'll He'll grow his religion and the faith amongst all of that persecution did you have a thought well I was just thinking in Domitian's day you know they were persecuting Christians for being Christian and Constantine Constantine, didn't he make Christian or didn't he force people to become Christian so so it's like yeah. Satan tried this way and then he comes in and goes okay well now we're going to infiltrate yeah you know of course Constantine thought after winning that battle after praying to the Jewish God that oh well, now Christianity's the right way, so I got to force everybody to do this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's why I really doubt Constantine's profession was a a genuine profession. But it's an interesting read, anyway. But I mean, you got John and he's sitting on Patmos after being boiled in oil, after. Um, being uh, sentenced to spend time on this island, um, and you know, there were no amenities there, right? Um, Patmos, a very uh, wooded island with a lot of uh, sharp cliffs, I think, is one of the ways it was described. And there's a cave on that island that tradition says is where John actually wrote Revelation in that cave. It's where he got the visions from God and wrote that, wrote Revelation in. But, you know, he'd already been a part of ministry by setting up these churches in Asia Minor. He was 60 years, well, no, 30 years, no, 60 years from Christ, being with Christ in his ministry. And here he is sitting on an island after being boiled in oil. I just can't even imagine that. And it comes to his mind through Jesus that you need to write these visions that I'm getting ready to show you. I'm going to do something with you that I haven't done before. I'm going to I'm going to pull back the veil and I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to and this is going to be a, a you're going to see heaven you're gonna see what this is like, and you're gonna and I'm gonna show you through these visions what the end times, what all this persecution that's going on. Just stay true to the faith. Just stay true to me, because in the end, it's all good, right? I mean, none of this is gonna overcome the day. We're going to overcome the day. And as bad as I think we see it every day, and and it is it's bad out there, like I said, I don't I can't think of the last time I watched the news. I just don't. I might hear of something on the truck on the way to work in that like three minute drive, but I don't listen to the news much, and when I do, it's just like, really, this is going on, and that's we're saying we're teaching kids what you know um president said what you know that it's just crazy it's nuts and with an election period coming up i mean it's scary for folks and we think and you know and it is it's getting bad it's pretty bad during that time too and what a great time to send really this encouraging message is revelation an encouraging book yeah it is an encouraging book and there's some There's some uh, stuff that's going to come into play in this book through judgments, but it's on a sinful world. It's judging a sinful, rejecting people, right? God is not to be mocked. And in the end, what? Every knee shall bow. It's going to happen. And the judgments that we see, they're not for us. They're not for us, Uh, you know. As a matter, you know, we'll get into this uh, more in depth later. But um, you know, there's different ways to view the rapture. Um, Is it a pre-trib, meaning the rapture is going to come before the tribulation even starts? And if you study out Revelation and other books, that's the way we believe that it's going to occur. Is it mid-trib, halfway through that seven-year period of tribulation, three and a half years, then the rapture comes? Well, if it's three and a half years right in the middle, then it's not really imminent because we can put a timetable to it, right? Or is it post-trib? Do you really think God means for His church to go through seven years of horrible tribulation? That just doesn't match what I think we see in Scripture. And again, seven years, we could put a timetable to it. When those tribulation events start, you can start almost putting a clock to some of them. So if we can put a clock to them, then they're not imminent. The only view that works that is imminent, and I think consistent with Scripture, is pre-trib. And in that case, we're going to be raptured prior to any of those tribulation events occurring prior to those seals being broken. Right? And I I think that's consistent with Scripture. Who's out there? Oh, no, buddy. I just had... I I (laughs) looked and then I had a thought, too. Yeah? What? Share it. Um, And we won't be in heaven looking at the events of of the tribulation either because we won't be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think that's very likely. I think you're very likely. And that's what made me smile. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't think that you're going to be, paying once in heaven, paying attention to anything down here necessarily. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't fit Scripture necessarily. Um, And time is on a different spectrum as well. So seven years, once you get to heaven, is what? Seven days. Yeah, I mean, it's quick, quick. So... You know the the as a Christian getting ready to study Revelation. I know some people can can get into it and I think study it for maybe different reasons. There's um, any we offer any type of prophecy class, they seem to be very well attended, and it's very interesting. I love them. We used to have uh, DeYoung, remember? Mm-hmm. DeYoung, he passed a couple of years ago. I think COVID uh, ended up. He pa- uh, I think it was about two or three years ago. I think his son's continuing now. Is it? Is so. he? Good. Uh, but he was neat. He was a neat guy. came and very smart and would just go through Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel and these books and really spell out prophecy. And it's all, I think it's, it's awesome. It's cool. It's neat stuff. Didn't he live in Israel? I think He did yeah and then the background he had within Israel and kind of some of the stuff going on there in preparation they live in preparation for the Christ coming mm-hmm. I mean they really they're they're compi- they are uh, putting supplies getting stuff ready to rebuild the temple even today which is amazing to me I think you know it's just amazing they live in that type of preparation um But we look at this book, and it should be a, uh, man, this is what we have to look forward to. Bad as things are, as as sick as people often get, and as we lose loved ones, there's going to be a day that we're all, that 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 coming, Christ comes and we resurrect. Whether we resurrect from the grave or we resurrect from here, Right. So, it's a it's a good book. One mm-hmm. thing one thing about it, we'll if the rapture happens, we'll get to beat The Undertaker. I have a lot of money. I <laughs> <laughs> so wouldn't know what The Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. $2. Yeah. Maybe for you. <laughs> That's, I hadn't thought of that. That's good. Me <laughs> well, used to say, I'm not looking for The Undertaker, I'm looking for The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> saying that. I don't remember that, but it sounds like something he would say. So, who was Revelation written to then? John wrote Revelation. Who was it written to? Well, first off, it was written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we're going to get into uh, chapters 1, 2, and I think 3. And then we're going to get into those letters written to the seven churches. And, and that'll... I'm sure slow us down a little bit too, really concentrating on who were those churches. They were real people within a church. And they're in the Bible now for eternity that Jesus had some words to write to them. Man, that's important. We need to say that. What, What did Jesus want to tell them and why? And what's the lesson for us? So we'll spend some time there. But he also wrote it to all mankind. Remember Jesus gave the vision to John. John wrote the book for the seven churches and for all of mankind to be able to see it's okay. Just follow and the end is already worked out. It's a reassuring message for all of mankind. So it was written for us. Um, a couple of key verses. Look at verse one or chapter one, verse 9. We've got about a few minutes. Chapter 1, verse 9. One of the key verses of, of Revelation, the Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's saying right there. He wrote it, where he wrote it, What infor- where did he get the information from? The information came from Jesus Christ. And um, he's just setting up uh, the whole book right there. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I mean, he's going to try and tell us things, through writing that are indescribable. I mean, can you imagine trying to describe something that's indescribable? That's John's task in writing this book. That's why it's so, uh, such a challenge, I think, for people as they read it. And we'll spend next week talking about how when we read Revelation as we're going through Revelation how should we take some of these verses do we take them literally we're literalist as fundamental independent Baptists we're we're biblical literalists. we take the Bible literally and there's some things in Revelation that we probably don't want to take too literal (laughs) we're literalists unless we need to be allegorical so we'll we'll talk about a couple of of those things next week as we go through there. Look at verse 6 or chapter 6 verse 17. Just some of the high points the chapter 6 verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? That's what I'm saying. Eventually every knee shall bow. <laughs> Judgment comes to all sinners one way or the other, right? That's why it's our task as Christians to um, share the word. Christ, given that great commission, share the gospel to all the areas. Because there's not going to be an excuse in the end times as to you why you didn't... Um, Choose him. You have a after the well, let's just we'll we'll talk about that when we get okay, there. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, let's look at chapter nineteen, verse eleven, real quick, and then we'll we're pretty much almost done. 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron." And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh-huh. Did you catch that one? You know, he had the armies which are in heaven followed him on white horses. Hey, guess what? That's us. Right? I've never ridden a horse. So I need to practice. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to look like a fool. I'll be right you. Anybody got a horse? Man, yeah, we're going to need, gonna need gonna to practice. Because sure. <laughs> that's not the time to look a fool, right? <laughs> no, I think we'll all have that supernatural ability at that point, right? Well, I mean, uh, you're, you're going to be a part of that battle. Uh, It's just a phenomenal, you know, these are all imagery and thoughts going to the future that are events that are going to happen. It's not just fairy tale. And I think, you know, sometimes when you read stuff like this, you're like, what? Really? No, it's... it's There's a day coming. There's a day coming and we believe this... Book just as much as we believe everything in the gospel and everything in Genesis and everything throughout every book that that we study Uh, it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be slow going Um, I don't there's too much here just to rush through I think right so I'll set the pace Uh, may take a little bit but that's okay Let's let's get out of this everything that God would have for us. He says in chapter one and I'm gonna hit this and then we'll be good. Bye yeah. See ya. <laughs> what verse am I looking for? Three, I uh-huh. think. You know, what? you know why I can't find it at the moment, oh, and I won't hold you up. What's up, James? Uh, what? A guy out there where I live, he come over there, and he took the coffee, coffee <sighs> and i out of my hand, and threw it away. <laughs> a guy out there. Well, on that note. That made me mad when he, he, he did that. Yeah? That made me mad when <laughs> he did that trying to get a reaction out of you, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm excited. I hope you are too. Um, I know this was kind of some introductory stuff, but I think it was important we we understand kind of the times. And I'll take next week to even talk about the different ways to interpret and read Revelation. So, I promise we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Oh, uh, who wants to, uh, Ken, you want to release this real quick? All right. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this study that we've started. Um